Gospel of John. And we've landed on what I believe is the most important verse in the Bible. And it's a verse that no doubt is dependent to a degree on really the, all of the written word. But at the same time, I feel like it's really a standalone verse. And that's John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to back up to verse 9 just to get a little bit of context. We've been looking at this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus was told by Jesus that he must be born again if he's to see the kingdom of God. And that unless he's born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the, enter the kingdom of God. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it's coming from. I'm in verse 8, so I might as well keep reading. And where it's going. So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus responded and said to him, verse 9, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son, into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, so their, their deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds would be revealed as having been performed in God. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look into this passage, as we look really into this one verse, and that you would illuminate our understanding Fill us with your spirit that we might receive from you, that we might be fed by the living word, the word of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. No, I'm not double fisting it if you have to, if you're wondering, one is water, one's coffee, so okay, so we're not. I'm not overindulging here. This morning, 
getting ready for church and took off my glasses and was doing all kinds of other different things like you do, right? Grabbed my glasses case, put it in my coat, came to church, opened up my glasses case, and it was empty, right? So I had to go home and get it. And so in thinking about this passage, as I was driving home and coming back, it was, I, I'm not sure if God is wanting to, to rewrite my message or not, because I was, I was just, and I'm going to share with you things that I was thinking about. But, uh, so I don't know what's going to come out. But I want to settle in verse 16, uh, because I think it's the most important verse in the Bible. It's the verse that hopefully you have memorized. If not, let me encourage you to memorize it. It's a verse that I think we should spend a fair amount of time thinking about, meditating on, doing even more study upon. And, and because it really, one, one verse in, in this book really contains the gospel. And, and we see here that God so loved the world which is really, and I'm just going to take phrase by phrase and a couple of words and, and, and talk about this. That God so loved the world. The word so implies in a very strong way. Now that's English, right? That's not necessarily what the Greek means. In the Greek, it would be, it would be translated, uh, God loved the world in this way. In other words, let me tell you how much God loves the world. It really is very similar to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. It, Romans 5 could be a, really even a, a, a commentary on this particular verse here, that God so loved the world. And I thought about this because um, I think this is a verse that we can go to If and when we have doubts about our own faith. If and when we ever doubt whether or not we are truly saved or not. And, and I, so as I was driving home, I, I was thinking about at times people who have expressed their doubts. At times I doubt. I think as a kid I prayed to receive Christ probably Ten times or more, you know, just I want to make sure I got the deal sealed, so to speak, right? And, and often what I realized, and, and again, as I was thinking about this this morning, my doubts were, were, were prompted by something that I had maybe done in the past. A sin I'd committed. If I was really a Christian, I wouldn't have done, I'm not going to tell you. Fill in the blank, right? Now, I know I'm the only person in this room who've ever, who's ever thought this way, right? Of course not. But the thing is, with doubts is... is now, I'm going to expand on this a little bit. wasn't planning on going here. But as I thought about this idea of I, 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 I doubt because of my sin and I feel guilty of my, of my sin... And, and so I've talked to people about this when they feel guilty about their sins or, or, or they're wondering if, if God can actually forgive them. 
He's talking to a Jew, a teacher of Israel. And he tells, now there, there's, I'm going to throw this out here and keep going. There's, there's debate about whether Jesus actually said these words or if, in fact, they were part of John's commentary. Either way, I'm, to me, that doesn't, that doesn't rattle my cage at all because either way, they're in the Bible. They are inspired words. It could have been a commentary by John. It's possible. But nonetheless, it was Holy Spirit inspired, I believe. And, and so it tells us that God so loved the world. That means God, in this way, loves each and every person regardless of their sin. I'm thinking even of that old hymn, Grace, Grace, Wonderful Grace, Grace that is greater, what, than all of our sins. And, and grace is important. Boy, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be in a lot of trouble, right? We'd all be in a lot of trouble. Some of you probably, well, I don't know about that. I was going to say some of you more than others, but nonetheless, we would all be in a lot of trouble. And, and I, think, I think it's important to understand grace. I think it's important to claim grace. I think it's important to live in grace. Particularly if you've confessed your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, 9 tells us, right? But the guilt still lingers. The guilt still lingers. So you pray and ask for forgiveness again. And the guilt still lingers. And all of a sudden, I can almost picture the angels going, he's doing it again, Bill. No, not sorry, Bill. <laughs> he's doing it again, Mil Mildred, right? You know, here he goes again. He's on that same guilt trip again. The thing is, what's so wonderful about the word of God is it makes these incredible declarations if we simply believe them, if we simply trust in them. It really can make all the difference in the world. Because grace is greater than all our sin. And God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. But for some people, the guilt still lingers. And the good news of grace, we know it in our head, and we go on, and we move on, and yet we don't always feel it. And then we think, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not saved because I did this, or I did this, or I did that. And one of the things I thought about is that sometimes, I think as evangelicals, we can err on the side of grace to such a degree that we do not get uh, a full understanding of the gravity of our own sin. We err on grace to an extreme and we don't err on penance, remorse. Second Corinthians 7 talks about how godly sorrow produces repentance. And what I've seen and found is that, that, that some people... I'll just, some of us 
have committed such sin that we really probably need a little bit of that guilt left over so that we are not becoming like, as the proverb says, the dog that returns to its vomit. Because I think without that guilt and that sense of remorse, sense of godly sorrow that produces repentance, we are prone. We are prone to wander. And I think when we have these things of, of, of guilt, and, and it, it really the biblical illustration on that, I think, is when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night at the river Jabbok. I, I share this often because I think it's so important. And if you remember the story, is that he wrestled all night long with the angel of the Lord, and he was prevailing over the angel, and yet the angel said, you've got to let me go. Now, I think this angel was a pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus Christ. That's just my opinion. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. So how did he bless him? He touched his hip, and it, it was knocked out of socket, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. But also within that blessing, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Jacob means heel catcher, trickster. Israel means governed by God. And in the Old Testament particularly, but even in some of the New Testament stories that we have, when someone is given a name change, it's because it is a representation of a change of nature. Jacob the hill catcher that night when he was touched by God and his hip was knocked out of socket, then became governed by God. Became someone who lived under the, under the, under the teaching and, and the illustration and the guidance of God. And in, the scripture says he walked with a limp the rest of his days. Some of us walk with a limp. Some of us need to walk with the limp because God so loved. See why I'm, I'm drawing the connection here? The reality is, is that J- Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long because God loved him so much that he wouldn't let him go. And so... All of this that we see, this, this incredible salvation story, this incredible salvation gospel, this incredible eternal life that is offered to each, each of us is sourced, comes from the love of God. Because God loved the world. Notice it says the world. It doesn't say Israel. It says God loved the world. Now, I don't know how those who are very extreme on their belief of uh, predestination deal with this because this is referencing to everything and everyone who is in the world. There's no talk about election here. It's given to us very plainly that God loves the world. And so because of that, he gave his only son. Now this word gave is, is an interesting word. Um, I looked it up in the Greek, and it talks about being dedicated 
or to dedicate oneself for some purpose or for some cause, to give up or even to sacrifice. That's how deep this world is where it says God gave. Interesting about it too, it is in the verb tense where it says that God the Father gave. It's first person. Excuse me, second person. Okay, I'm back. All right, God the Father gave. Which is interesting to me because there are other passages in the New Testament. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, where it says the Son of Man uh, gives of himself, uh, gives up himself as a ransom for many. So here in John 3, the Father gave. Matthew and Mark, the Son gave. Which one's right? They both are. They both are. So here you have two persons of the Trinity working in tangent with each other, offering this incredible gift, this incredible dedication of themselves to the world for some purpose or for some cause. That purpose is that we might believe and have eternal life. That was the purpose. That was the cause. That was what God the Father, God the Son, and also God the Holy Spirit, although he's not mentioned here, he is mentioned earlier in this chapter, right? Where God gives up for us, where God sacrifices for us, we, we, I didn't read it this morning, but we just, in, 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 in having communion, Jesus says, this is my body given. Same word. Luke 22, verse 19. This is my body given for you. God loved the world in this way that he dedicated himself, he gave of himself, he had sacrificed his son that we might believe. And so he gives. Now think about this. Now, I understand the Trinity and I don't. How's that? I know some people don't like it when I talk this way, but too bad. Anyway, because I think the understanding of the Trinity is way beyond our comprehension. And yet there are little glimmers of understanding that the Scripture gives us in the Bible, in particularly the New Testament. The Father definitely is God. The Son definitely is God. The Holy Spirit definitely is God. God the Father, let's go back to the context here. God the Father gives. God the Father dedicates. God the Father sacrifices. He gives the most important, the very best thing that he has. And that's his son. God the son. What is better? What is more important? What is purer? What is more lovely? That God the Father could give. 
He could give of nothing else, so he gives of himself, really. Three and one, the Trinity again. And he offers his son as a sacrifice. Again, God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. Including that guilt that you carry of something you did years and years ago that's still gnawing at you. Because it is a grace, it is a love that is greater than all our sin. He gives his only son. Now some translations, New King James for example, says that he gave his only begotten son. It's the Greek word monogenes. Monogenes. When we read in English only begotten, it almost implies a birthing, doesn't it? At least some people. I, do, I think it does. Okay. A few of us. But that's not a good translation. Because this word monogenes really refers to this idea of the son being unique and special and one of a kind. It, 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 it really, in the Greek, the use of the word really would not give any kind of impression that, that the father was first and then he created the son through some form of birth. Now, was Jesus born? His physical body was born, yes. But he existed. In, remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. So he existed in the beginning with God. We looked at this a little bit and when we were in the first chapter. But, but important to recognize that he gave his one only unique, special son. In the Greek, the word son is there. So, something of one of a kind, something that's one of a class, something that is unique, the very best he, he could, he gave. And as I think about this, again, and I mentioned this, I think it was last Wednesday night, about the widow who gave two mites, Two coins. She gave the very best she had, didn't she? Because she gave all that she had. As opposed to all these rich people who were walking by and kind of throwing their spare change into the jars and whatever so they'd make this nice little sound and everybody would be impressed about how much money they threw in. And that's why Jesus said that that woman gave more than anybody else. But he also understood because he knew the father would give his all in giving his son to be the redemption for our sins. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only one unique, special, one-of-a-kind son so that everyone who believes in him 
but not perish, but have eternal life. See, belief is... Belief is difficult, I think, for a lot of us. Because it's, it's actually... Well, it's, it's a lot of things. One is you have to trust in something besides yourself. Now, I don't know why some of you would even want to trust in yourself to begin with, but nonetheless, um, you have to trust in something besides yourself, which requires at least a little bit of what? Humility. Humility. So when I doubt, I know I can't save myself. I know that if, except for by the grace of God, there go I. I know that there is no possible way at all that I can get myself saved. I can't be good enough. Can't even get close to being good enough. And neither can you. Okay, so I'm not alone here. but I can trust in the fact that God loved the world, including me, including you, in this way that he gives us one and only unique, special son, and he calls us to believe, which requires humility. Why do you think Jesus said that unless we become as a child, we will not enter the kingdom of God? And for some of us, that's easier maybe than some of the rest of us. And, and to really grab a hold of this childlike faith. No, no, you, you don't deserve eternal life. Let's, let's just face it. I don't. I don't know anybody who does. And yet, because of the love of God, He demonstrates it toward us in that he gives his son. Christ dies for us. Believing is just the important thing. All right, God, I feel I'm having doubts, but I'm going to trust what your word says, and I'm going to grab a hold of it, and I'm going to hang on to that for whatever it's worth and all that it's worth. See, belief is the most important thing. I think I, We talked about this when we were in chapter 1. I think the, the uh, I didn't go back through my notes and, and look, but, but I think it's about 90 plus times that the word belief is in the Gospel of John. It's all about believing. It's all about trusting. This goes back to even what we read in the first chapter. Where it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this calling that we have to trust in that, that calling that we have to believe in that, and just to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ where he died on the cross for us.
This word in the Greek is in the present tense. It means belief that is in an action or a state of being with no assessment of its completion. An action that is in a state of being is continuous. Now, I'm going to go way above my pay grade here. But I do worry about those who made a decision to follow Christ and then later on decided that they're not going to do that anymore. I've met people like that. I don't know how to, to uh, parse that for you. I don't know if they were saved. I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty solid toward leaning once you're saved, you're saved, and, and that we are secure in Christ. But I have met people who made a commitment to follow Jesus, then made almost an, you could say, an equal commit, commitment not to follow him anymore which actually does violate the verb usage of this verse, word believe, because it's a belief which means it's something that is continuous. It's something that you grab a hold on. Again, do you have, do you have doubts? I think we all have doubts from time to time. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe, I don't know. I... And when I have doubts, you know what I do? I, I just pray. I pray to the God that I doubt even exists. Does that make sense? To me, it makes a whole lot of sense. Because the, the, the word tells us, I think it's 1 Timothy, where it says, when we are faithless, he is faithful still because he cannot deny himself. Thank God for that. Really, that's a huge verse. But, but it's... it's a present tense, but it's also in the active voice. In other words, we are the ones that are performing the action of the verb. We are the ones who are believing. And that belief is given to whosoever, or at least as the King James says, whosoever, uh, New American Standard uses the word everyone. Everyone. It really is a whole lot simpler to become a Christian than I think a lot of us even think. And, and I wonder, I, I think from time to time, none of us do it well. All right? I, I, I think we, we have struggles. I think we have difficulties. I think we have setbacks. Yeah, to, to, to go back to my old Southern Baptist upbringing, we all backslide. Right. Sorry about the southern. <laughs> Sorry, Bonnie. Anyway, we, we, you know, and uh, when I was a teenager, man, I was a backslider. <laughs> you know, and 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 so th- there was always that struggle. But the thing is, God is so much more faithful to me in keeping me than I am able to stay with Him. Does that make sense? And even in those times of doubt, it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to continue to put one foot in, one of the other, in front of the other because I love what Peter told Jesus, Matthew, I think it's Matthew 16 or 17, where, where he, Jesus asked them the question, who am I? Who am I? And to make the story short, Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? And, and 
Jesus then begins to give very hard teachings. Boy, I want to hear those tapes. And he starts thinning out the crowds. Because the gospel will challenge you because the gospel requires of you. It is a gospel that is sourced from the love of God, but it is still something that requires something from you. And he starts thinning out the crowds, and, and Jesus turns to his 12, and he says, are you going to go away too? And then Peter steps up and says, where else are we to go for you alone have the words of eternal life? So when you doubt, let me suggest that you pray that prayer. And just leave that at the Lord's feet. Where else are we to go? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. This, this word belief, though, and this is, I, I'm going to probably take a little more time than I had planned, but nonetheless, I won't be much longer. Um, it means that you consider something to be true, right? It's pretty obvious. You consider something to be true, and because you consider it to be true, you consider it to be worthy of some type of action on your part. There's an exchange there. There's an equation going on there all of a sudden. I can't just believe and feel good about it. It requires that there is some type of action on my part. Something that all of a sudden, if I really consider this to be true, then I will consider it to be worthy of something that I am willing to trust in. Being convinced that something is true. And therefore taking that action to entrust ourselves entirely and with complete confidence, or at least with the amount of confidence that we have. Again, the man whose, whose son was throwing himself in the fire, and, he, and, and Jesus, uh, they asked Jesus to heal this boy, and, and, and Jesus says, I, I, I can and I will if you just believe. And the father was exasperated. And he says, and to me, it's one of the best prayers in the Bible. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You see, the thing is, though, it's my guess, my suspicion, that this man had such a hard heart that he had to be brought to this point of desperation before he was willing to take the step of faith. So God uses what he uses. And he's very effective and very efficient in speaking to our hearts and using the life situations that we encounter to do so. But, but you know, God forbid that we, as the scripture says, that we would be cut off and that without remedy because of the hardness of our hearts. It's the calling to believe. It's the calling to trust. It's the calling to make a decision to give our lives to Christ because God loved the world in this way that he gave his one, only unique, and special son. 
so that if we simply believed in him, and obviously it's talking about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember, as I've told you also, you read, we read chapter 3 in the context of what we've already read in chapters 1 and chapters 2. But it's this idea of trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross for our salvation because they will not perish, but they will have life eternal. If you believe. If you believe, you will not perish, but you will have life eternal. Now, this word perish really means to to have someone uh, or to cause an experience of destruction upon someone. It's a harsh word. What's fascinating, I'm just going to throw this out here and I'm going to leave it to you, it's also in the arrowist term. Now, why is that important? I'm going to tip over some apple carts today, but I haven't really quite done it yet. Remember the arrows tense in the Greek is a snapshot? Remember the arrows tense in the Greek is often translated past tense? It's not present tense, which is a continuous action, but it is a snapshot event of someone being destroyed. What is that implying? I'll let you guys work that one out. How's that? Because there are other places where it talks about eternal punishment. But here it's not talking about that. It's talking about a moment of destruction where someone perishes because they did not believe. Now this expression, eternal life, really could be translated life in the age to come. Life in the age to come. I know that some of you and you ascribed a certain theological categories that talk about different ages. The Bible talks about two ages. It talks about the age we are in and it talks about the age to come. And when Jesus returns, he will inaugurate, begin the age to come. And so that's when we will enter into what we describe and understand as eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But it's all motivated on his love. A love that sometimes I think lets us sit in our doubts. I think it's important sometimes that we sit in our doubts. That's why sometimes I don't try to tie the knot too tightly for you guys because I'm wanting you to maybe be hungry enough to want to go home and maybe do some studying yourself? Was he right this morning? Is he becoming a heretic? I'm not sure which, right? But the thing is, everything that God does for us is motivated by his incredible love because God loved the world in this way that he gave, he gave up, he allowed his son to be given over into the hands of sinful men. He gives his one only unique son that whoever trusts in him, believes in him, makes a stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, will not perish but have everlasting life. And guys, that is incredibly incredibly 
good news, not only for the sinner who yet is yet to know Christ, but for us who have walked with the Lord for many, many years, because that is a gospel that will play and it will preach every single time. Amen.